0: of being able in love with him and in love with one another to love those who hate them to bless those who persecute them and say all manner of evil against them falsely Like our Father, we are able to love enemy. So this is the primary thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul will say in his discussion of the work of the Spirit, God's own self in our lives, the authentic work of the Spirit is evidenced by the presence of love. The Apostle Paul, in his teaching, and he was such an interpreter of God's mind for us, says that the produce of the Spirit in our life, the produce of God's presence in our life, that which is the diagnostic quality of God being present in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit, the produce of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, etc. Love, he says in his writing to the Corinthians, is that which is essential and authenticates any other expressions of God in your life. So, whether you speak in the tongues of men and of angels and in a Nazarene school, I am careful not to make any comment on that. Whether or not you give your body to be burnt so committed you are and so fervent in your conviction and even if you give all your goods to feed the poor that's for the social justice people and you do not have love then he says various things like it profits you nothing and then, in, in a very pre-political, pre-politically correct era, he says to people, you are nothing. So, the only thing that makes you something, as you claim to be the people of God, the only thing that makes you something, as you confess, with your songs and your religious observances, that you are indeed not just frauds, not just charlatans, not just pretenders, but you are the real people of God in the world. The only thing is an observable presence of love. Paul says, you are nothing. And as you heard me say last night, I think that there has to be a sense of our tradition in the Holiness Church where people do not see this business of reflecting the character of God as an added extra that some saints have but others don't need to have. But the essential impetus of our faith tradition, the Church of the Nazarene, as it stands in the Wesleyan tradition, is that it is necessary. Necessary and, of course, possible. That God, by His Spirit, can so occupy the individual that God's character is evident in the way that person lives in the world. And it is not okay to be content with anything otherwise. It's not okay to rationalize lovelessness. For lovelessness in a way of speaking is godlessness. People like James finds it absurd for you to say that you are what you are not when it is not evident in that which is observable in your actions so this is valentines and you know you you might have picked up from last night that i am sort of leaning in this reflection on love many of you might, perhaps might be thinking about erotic love and that's okay that's what you do in college Uh, but you know that is derived from this essential character of God this thing that is the diagnostic quality of the people of God in the world who we are we are the chosen generation we are the royal priesthood we are the holy nation. The people who are to show forth, according to First Peter chapter 2, 9 and following, the praises of him who has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus, in interacting with some religious people, made the statement, except in Matthew and in Luke, um, that you know the the essential feature, the essential feature of all of Scripture, all of God's Word revealed to us, is that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is a repeat of the Shema, that that sort of basic document that the people of God in the Old Testament described their, themselves and their God by. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is, is, is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Jesus cites a passage from the Holiness Code in Leviticus and adds it on. And the second most essential is just like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. This faith, is about love this is what according to jesus the whole scripture is about everything can be summarized in this the people of god are those who love god with all their heart soul mind and strength as i said last night leaving no other Loves for anything else. Anything that we do as the people of God is done as an expression of our love for God. Including the love we have for neighbor. And you love your neighbor as you love yourself, including the love you have for yourself. All of that is, I think, informed by this exhaustive love for God. A love for God which you only have when you understand God's love for you. And I have found that the Ten Commandments, as I cited last night, I read from some parts of it, excerpts from, from, from Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments can be viewed very usefully. As an expression in scripture as to how God wants his people to love him and as to how he wants them to love others if the whole of scripture can be summarized in love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself these these Ten Commandments, which tend to be the sort of basic document for, for, for Judeo Christian understanding of faith, is very usefully viewed in terms of the expression of love for God and love for neighbor. Exodus chapter twenty Deuteronomy chapter 5 are two places where you see the Ten Commandments. And you can, in your time, read those chapters. But I would like to spend some time tonight to just, just, just ask you to think about your experience of your love for God your experience of the interaction of God's presence in your life that is expressed in observable love for God. I think tomorrow night we will look at at what it means to really love neighbor. Tonight, let's look at the first four commandments because some, somebody says that these Ten Commandments weigh four in relation to God, first four, and then six in relation to other people. And some people have made much of that, that the, 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 the relationship with God is interestingly... Like, not just five and five. But some people notice that it is, it is four. And, the, you know, those persons who look at those things, you know, make quite a, a deal about its, its symmetry and so on. This relationship to God. And then six that, that relate to, to, to people. It begins, the Ten Commandments begin, We are our understanding of our love for God should begin. We didn't love God first. John will say, in is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave himself for us. God is the first actor. If you love God, really love God, you are a person, as I said last night, who somewhere along the line discovered God's love for you. Ten commandments begin, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. God describes himself to those persons who were the first hearers as the God who acted on their behalf first when they could not help themselves. You know the story about these people trapped in egypt as slaves nobody to talk for them nobody to advocate for them i had a teacher man by the name of walter brueggemann who says that what god did was to say i hear i hear he says you know he's so dramatic he says listen you know god is like up there having a wonderful time with the angels and so and then god says do you hear something did you hear some? Nobody else hears some. God says, yes. I hear some people crying. I hear some people sighing. They are my people. I know their voice. And those people in the throes of oppressive slavery. That's why God is the God who is a just God. He has distinguished himself as the liberator of the oppressed because his people cried out under the yoke of bondage and God came when nobody else could or anybody else would God came and delivered them antiquity has some very very Bad experiences with slavery. But one of the things that always is a beautiful thing is when somebody acts towards people who are being oppressed so that they get back their selfhood and are made free. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I loved you when you were helpless, and when you were hopeless. I came when nobody else did, and I did what nobody else could. God starts it up. And of course, you know, taking it now, those of us who are Christians... Those of us who name the name of God and are self-conscious that we are the people of God. If we don't understand ourselves as the people of God, as the objects of God's preemptive action. You are not a Christian because you were sorry for God and you think you should just... I think we should give Him some time. You are a Christian Because God, in His mercy, has done what you could not do in order to rescue you from the bondage and inevitable consequence of a twisted, sinful existence. Anybody here who is not conscious of that and think you are a Christian, perhaps you are not. Anybody who is a real Christian is a person that has been confronted by the actions of God. Wrought in Jesus Christ and brought subjectively to your situation. You are very conscious of what God did that you couldn't do. And God has a way of making you know that. Beyond the theology involved and all the complex philosophy, the time of real conversion is a time when you become conscious that you are drowning in your sin. And except God helped you, you are toast. The people of God are people who are conscious of God's preemptive move. And understand that their move is always a responsive move. You have never moved to God first. You are a person who always will respond to God. And for some of us like me, Growing up in a Christian home, in fact, the months, my father was a pastor. My response was resistance for a long time. And some of you might even know what I'm talking about. Coming to chapel, day after day, people preaching, and a lot of the times our response to God is not reception, but resistance. God, I am not ready for that absolute surrender. And God doesn't stop. He's always coming on, and He's never satisfied with some, because God gives all. And He will not take a contribution when He has made an absolute commitment. And so, we're not surprised that on the basis of this preemptive move on God's part, I am the Lord your God, brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and God might have some personal things that some of you know that God was there when nobody else was there, not just objectively in terms of Jesus and Calvary and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the church, but in some of our lives subjectively when we were depressed and we didn't know that anybody cared about us and so on. And God, by His Holy Spirit, said, I know you and I love you and you have meaning to me. And on the basis of God's preaching. Empty move. God says, So, you must have no other God beside me. Devotion is to be exclusive. You know, I'm, I'm talking to us here as the people of God. You know, maybe it might sound sort of really extreme to people at all. Time, but let me tell you, Young brothers and sisters, this is the nature of the faith. Jesus will later on say, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Die and follow me. The nature of the faith is that it's an all, all. It's a sort of like God gives me all of himself and God is expecting all of myself. That's the nature of the faith. You must have no other God beside me. Now, let me tell you this. Principalities and powers are going to be acting over time to seduce you away from your God who loves you with an everlasting love. That is going to be the order of the day. Every day, the whole of the fallen creation is going to try to cause you to have divided loves. I love you, God. I kind of like you. I love you, but I also love football. Divided loves. You know, you, you, you're going to have it. Jesus, Jesus our, our example, you know, you remember the temptations? The, the, the seduction of your own appetites. You're hungry. Make these stones into bread. you remember that story? And sometimes the, it is not so much the enemy, as they say, but it is the enemy. It is the seduction from inside. It is the appetite that you want to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but some appetites, some of them natural appetites, that are seducing you away from your first love. and Sometimes it is not your appetites, but, you know, like in the case of Jesus with the temptations, it is the affirmation of your own significance. You know, Jesus was taken up to the highest point in the temple mount and told, show these people who you really are. Jump off. When they see you jump off this 90 feet and further 60 feet drop and just land on your feet, then they will know that you are who you say you are. Show these people that you are not a walkover, that you are the Messiah. Do it. Sometimes the seduction is very subtle. But quite likely, you and I might know what it is to have a competitor. A competitor which says, you know, self-importance is an important thing and I need to establish that. In fact, how will they know that I am a real man of God? Unless I do something to demonstrate my own significance. The subtlety of the seduction and in the case of the temptation what not only the appetites and the need for affirmation but the thing called ambition the devil came and just said listen look at all the na- the, the-, the- the, 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 the world look at all the riches you know you worship me bow down and worship me and you will get all of that sometimes the ambition the world system in its sophisticated way to show you that you could be more than you have settled to be seduces you away from your first love so you love him You know, Jesus loved me. This I know, I know that. But really, I really love this ideal where I will be something. It comes in our forms. But you must love me without competition. Love me. Second commandment. You must make no likeness of me. In other words, do not misrepresent me to yourself so that I am more comfortable to you. You know, one of the things we do as human beings, one of the geniuses of being a human being, is that you can modify your environment so that it can suit you. Including our temptation to modify who God really is so that He is more palatable for us. Second commandment is a twist on the old seduction of idolatry. Where we don't make another God apart from God. But we adjust God down so that God would be sort of domesticated. A God you can more handle. Because as C.S. Lewis says, The lion is a lamb. But we discover that he is not tame. And this God, this God of the world, this God of the Bible, this holy God, this omnipotent God, sometimes it's just a little too much. So through our religion, nice church, like churches, like Church of the Nazarene, very sanitized, which you know, soft, we sing. We we sort of make God in a more no, no, I am gonna step away from that. I, I respond you know, I withdraw those comments, you know, especially for those persons who might be listening to this on um, on online or anything like that. You know, the church of Nazarene is perfect in their understanding of, of, of God. Um, but there are some churches <laughs> that their religious system has modified through their theology and so on. A God, a God reflective many times of their own culture. A God that is more sort of uh, domesticated and and sort of in keeping with what they like. A God made in their own image and likeness. A God that is more, more attuned with their worship style. Or their theological uh, niceties or something. And the second commandment, I think, is a watchdog over that. God says, I love you exhaustively. And you must love me without competition. And you must love me without compromise. Love me as I am. Know me as I am. If any man boasts, let him boast in this. That I am a God of loving kindness, justice, and mercy. And in these things I delight, says the Lord. Don't make me fit into your political system. I am who I am. If you are loving me, love me as I am. No compromise. If you love me, fourth commandment don't take my name in vain. Don't treat me with contempt, without competition, without compromise, without contempt. What is taking the name of the Lord in vain? many people think it is to say God's name lots there's a rich tradition on that in the Jewish people really started it in fact you know those of you who are Hebrew scholars know that the, the 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 word for God in the Hebrew text is is written in such a way that you can't say the name it is not pronounceable because there's a strong sense that, you know, you take the name in vain if you say it in the wrong context. But the taking of the name of the Lord in vain is more than just saying God's name. It is saying God's name with your mouth, but your heart is far away. It is when you act as if there is a certain relationship. You are the people of God. Like we know, there are people in the world who have credentials that they are the people of God. But their actions are hateful. Their actions are anti-God. They are fraudulent. They are lifting up their soul Just almost like how people worship idols. They have the right sound, but their lifestyle contradicts it and makes the name of God be subject to contempt. When you read places like Ezekiel 36, when you go home, read that. You will find that God's challenge was because of the lifestyle of those who are supposed to be his people. That his name was profaned in the earth. When Jesus says, when you pray, pray, our Father who art in heaven, let your name be held holy. This is what is being addressed. People who are called by the name of God malign his name by their actions. There are some people who only know what God in Christ is all about by the people that are in the church, in the village, in the town. And my God, they have a warped understanding of our great loving God because of the people they know who name his name. The Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain, calling his name in their mouths and in their worship. But everything about them is contrary to his nature. If you love me, love me without contempt. And then the fourth commandment is the Sabbath commandment. Make some time for me. If you love me, you will have time for me. What kind of love is this that is never tired to watch extra time and double extra time with the Celtics. But find it so boring if we spend a little more time in the presence of God, who we love. What kind of love is this? Again, I cite Brueggemann and he was, as I said, he was a little, you know, (laughs) extreme. And he says, you know, the, the the amount of time communities of faith stay in worship is directly related to the amount of money they have so poor people their services are long because it is wonderful to be in a place where you're thinking about God and heaven and away from the misery of their holy children and the the challenges that they have. The richer you are, and he he really has the whole thing about, the richer you are, the shorter your service. So, poor black Pentecostal churches, for hours, hallelujah it's a wonderful time to be in the presence of god because we maybe those persons don't have to rush out to the yacht club to start off you know the richer you are richer you are so watch it you know as, as, as you, you, you look at cultures and, 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 and the more they have outside of the, 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 the construct of worship, is the less time they have in the presence of the Lord they love. Six days will you, should you work. Do all your work. But the seventh is a Sabbath. A time for you to reflect on what God is doing quite apart from you. Did you notice that the first day of man's life was the Sabbath day? Man was made on the sixth day. First day that man came was the seventh day. And it is very interesting that God seemed to have brought man into a world in which man should know, listen, all of this happened before you came there is a sense in which this whole time with God is really a time in which you put your own importance into perspective. God can get along without you, and so you need, you need to stop doing some of what you're doing sometimes and spend some time with God alone. This concept of Sabbath, this concept of time with God is a, is a time in which you understand that you are not that important. And you understand how wonderful and great God is by reflecting on what God has done without you. Out of that you see His greatness so you you are led to things like repentance repentance of your arrogance repentance of your 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 your, your sense uh, of privilege repentance which is which is which is which comes from time with god if you don't stop and start thinking of god chances are you will never get around to repent of your arrogance and mine But this is a time when not only will you be able to repent and and so on, but a time when you can renew, renew commitment. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. What a privilege to belong to you. Because we have taken time to reflect on God to repent of our own self-sufficiency and to spend some time in His love. I think there's a lost thing in our Christian experience of of, of engaging that. And several people, people like Pete Skizera and others, are, are, are advocating this quest after God where you rest and watch God. So that you might be renewed to partner with God. How is your love? Would anybody look at you and observe that you are a lover of God? Would anybody see the presence of the Spirit in you where the produce of the Spirit is love? Love for God that is without competition. Love for God, that is without compromise. Love for God that is without contempt. Love for God that is without crowding him, crowding him out and putting him in a little one-hour box. God, you had your little one-hour time. Now shut up God and let me watch the game. How is your love? Generations of Christians, my dear young brothers and sisters, have always asked themselves this question. What, what's my love? I quoted last night from a famous psalm. Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is weak and faint love you and adore oh for grace to love you more we have time tonight just time for for prayer because that that is what we do we listen to the word of God and we pray to the Lord I'm going to invite you to bow your heads in prayer Now I'm going to ask you to spend some time looking at the character of your love. Do you realize how much God loves you? Do you realize that you were hopeless and helpless except by the actions of God? And that God calls you to react in complete and absolute availability to him. I wonder if there is a person here tonight who would say, Pastor Sam, I want tonight to be you, that time when I renew my response to God. In absolute love. Without competition. Nothing else. Must compete. Without compromise. Tonight is my night. When what I say. Is going to be what I am. My words. Will be the reflection. Of my heart. Tonight is my night when i want to say before god humans and demons i want to be with him if that is what your heart is saying i'd like you to express that by um by some action tonight maybe you know in this wonderful church it would be a great idea for all of us to kneel before God. Can I invite you, if you can, to just kneel where you are in your pew? And respond in prayer. It may be silent prayer. It may be audible prayer. In the next few minutes, before God, the God who loves you and loves you and loves you and did not hold back, poured out the lifeblood of His incarnate Son so that you and I might be saved. Tell Him, young lady. Tell Him, young man that you receive it, and you're available. Here I am, Jesus. Dear God, I pray that these wonderful, wonderful young people who are here t- to set the compasses of their lives, but that tonight, oh Lord God, they would say in the face of principalities and powers, and all that would seduce them into idolatry, I belong to God. My Jesus, I'm yours. Dear God, I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would come even now, O Lord God. And your Holy Spirit would come and inhabit his temple. Would occupy these hearts and bodies that are yours. the very fire of your presence will communicate to each one of these young people that you love them and what you want is for them to love you back Lord God I pray that even now even now as we bow in your presence oh Holy Spirit Holy Spirit even now as as we bow in your presence That, oh God, you would consume things that would seduce us with the fire of your presence i pray that lord we would burn we would feel as the those two disciples walking with the resurrected christ would say did not our hearts burn within us lord god that we would we would we, we would have a sense of the fire that thing that our, our father wesley said he, he he sensed god your holy spirit just making it real to us that we are his very holy temples God I pray that in this chapel tonight you might find some people who have come to that place where they say I belong to the Lord I am thine O Lord I have heard thy voice and it told thy love And I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer, 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 drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, 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 God, nearer. Draw your people. You say you love us with an everlasting love love and with loving kindness do you draw us to yourself. Draw your people to you, Lord. Until we are as close as we can ever be. So that the very character of God may shine through us. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Give ear to our as the deer pants for the water loads. So pants are so after thee, O oh Lord. Are so long for you. You, Lord, are our one desire. And we want nothing else but you. We're thirsty for you. You have said those who hunger and thirst after righteousness Be filled by you. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own gentle way. In Jesus' name we pray.